Welcome to the Hobcast, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of building a new creative business in this pandemic world. We'll hear from the people who make all this possible, the authors, cover designers and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast from Hobeck Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. Hello, and welcome to the Hobcast, episode number 97. We accelerate towards 100. I know, we're nearly there. We're nearly there, we're nearly there. It is absolutely chucking it down outside us. We record this episode in our Hobeck barn. Does it reflect your mood today? Not as much as yesterday, <laughs> but it would have been a fair reflection of... I was, I, I was <laughs> extremely tired yesterday, um, and I had to dash off to Loughborough to go and assist my son who's studying there. So we do apologise for being slightly late this week with this episode, but... Better late than never. Absolutely. And it'll probably be better for the distillation. The fact is, I'd just driven back from Glasgow the night before and I was absolutely exhausted by yesterday. I really was. I hadn't slept for about three days either. No. So, yes, lots of driving, lots of excitement in Glasgow as well. We had a fantastic time in Glasgow and then not enough sleep. What does that... Mix all that into a big soup and what do you get? Uh, yeah, issues. <laughs> anyway, welcome to the show. My name is Adrian Hobart. My name is Rebecca Collins. Together, we run Hobart Books, UK independent publishers of the following four genres. Suspense. Crime. Mystery. And suspense. No, thrillers. Thrillers, even. <laughs> Aye, thrillers. Murders. Um, anyway. Murders. No, no don't do try. It. Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> anyway, we've got somebody who can do it, and uh, that oh, is Maureen yeah. Mayant is our guest this week. And we published the confession last week, and we had the book launch on Friday in Glasgow at the Gallery Bookshop, which is the a wonderful little bookshop and gallery in Merchant City, right in the heart of Glasgow. And uh, it was a lovely occasion. So we're going to get a flavour of that, and then a, a walk and talk interview with Maureen around Pollock Country Park. And uh, by the end, I was absolutely exhausted, but it was uh, it was a great interview. I so, had a really long nap that afternoon. You did, yeah. You were wiped. <laughs> and then we had an evening in the company of Fleet Street's finest tennis correspondents. I know. It was surreal, wasn't it? It was. Being surrounded by Fleet Street's tennis heads. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it just so happened that uh, our mutual and, and very best friend, Russell Fuller, who is the BBC's tennis correspondent, happened to be in Glasgow for the Billie Jean Cup semi-finals and final. And um, as a result of that, we, we you know met up for dinner, but along came all of Fleet Street's finest. Yeah. It was a great we, evening. We talked evening. about tennis, journalism and yep. books. We did, yeah. We explained the problem, and they were fascinated. They were fascinated by it, yeah, weren't they? Yeah, all written journalists want to be in print, so I think that was why they were pumping us for information. <laughs> Are we going to get submissions, do you think? We may do. We may do. Mike Dixon might, might, might write us one. Who knows? Anyway, let, let's get into some news before we speak to Maureen. And uh, look, there's plenty about, it has to be said, uh, we've been talking about Twitter for ages uh, in the last couple of weeks, and there have been all sorts of... Uh, shenanigans going on there, which, uh, you know, if you want to follow the story, just take a look at the newspapers. It's extraordinary. Just, um, you know, they've been rehiring people, having fired them, and then they fired a load more people, and a whole load of people have walked away from the platform. It's in complete chaos, but we won't, we won't dwell on that. We'll talk about Amazon to start with, if we may. That's a dirty word. <laughs> it is in this house. Uh, we'll explain in a second why. Um, but basically, Amazon at the moment are trying to purge. Oh, hello, cat. Having a good sniff of the microphone. <laughs> it's got your image on it. Um, so, yeah, where were we? Amazon. They're trying to purge a whole load of things that they're calling leech publishers. Now, this is not a new phenomenon. And um, there are quite a few people on YouTube who go around sort of talking about, I've made thousands, hundreds of thousands of pounds from Amazon and I haven't even written a book. And that's because they're basically ripping off uh, copyrighted material and then repackaging it and republishing it. And uh, one of the phenomena in this field is a work, a workbooks. So let's say you've written a book, which is a self-help book telling you how to uh, or encouraging you to approach life in a different way or take a different philosophy, uh, take different approaches to uh, to improve your life. I don't know. There are lots of things lots like that. Lots of things like that, yeah. 
And then somebody will get that book and then probably knock off 25 pages as a workbook. And they'll call it the workbook for so-and-so's, you know, name of author uh, and title of book. And people are buying those thinking they've got the real thing. And they're just knockoffs. It's it's uh, it's quite a phenomenon, and you know some people are charging for twenty five pages. Can you imagine one of those with a, with a crime book? No, well, I think there is a, there is an element of that. I mean, I think that you know if you've got a popular crime book, I mean, there must be people out there, you know, repackaging Thursday Murder Club, um, you know, changing the names of the places and and calling it original fiction that kind of thing. I mean, you know, it's very easy to do, and you only have to do it successively a couple of weeks and make a lot of money out of it. Yeah. Before it gets taken down. Anyway, Amazon are trying to crack down on this, but it has an, uh, a knock-on effect for people like us. And not because we're knocking anything off. It's simply that with Amazon being much, much more aggressive and on the front foot and challenging anybody's right to publish something, sometimes legitimate books do not get published on the day that they've been out there, you know, publicized to be released by. And that is affecting us today with one of our new titles, The Unfamily by Linda Huber, as yet unavailable on Amazon because, well, you explain, you've been dealing with it. Well, so we decided to um, pre uh, release for pre-order just a few days before publication because it was just a strategy we've been trying. So we released it last, um, uh, whenever the uh, 10th of November was, the end of last week. And... Um, as usual, it said in review. And then I had the, the dreaded email, which says, uh, we we believe that uh, the content you are trying to publish is similar to content already published. Please, can you confirm by one of the following methods that you, are, you have the rights to publish this book? And one of the methods is to show them the contract with the name of the book, the signature of the author, the signature of the publisher, which I did. I, I took photos of the contract and sent them back straight away with my p politest reply, and I've heard nothing for five days. Yeah. So basically, it's not published today as planned. And uh, I mean, in, in some ways, it's a good thing we did only had a short pre-order in the sense that there won't be that many people disappointed yet. But nonetheless, it has wiped out our launch so far. And as you say, we've had no engagement from Amazon whatsoever. Well, I... I, I... I sent them a chasing, a polite chasing email on Saturday morning saying, you know, this is supposed to be published on Tuesday. We are really keen to publish this book. We've already published two other books by Linda Huber. And then again today via the dashboard, I've sent them another really polite. I've attached the images again saying how upset the author is. You know, I'm, I'm being as nice as I can because I know, I understand that they're, they're cracking down on um, bad people for want of a better word. <laughs> yeah, leech publishers. So I, I don't want to upset them. You know, I, I know we've got to work with them, but I'm desperate. I'm getting desperate now. There's another one of our books that's publishing at the end of November in a similar situation. So it's not desperate yet because we've still got two weeks on that one. But this one, every hour counts as far as I'm concerned. It does indeed. And this is not the first time this has happened. This causes great distress to all of us within the, the company and course the authors and indeed people who've bought it on pre-order um but the other well, it thing hasn't been up for pre-order well no but uh, no i appreciate that because you can't buy it at the moment but for anybody who i mean this has happened to people in the past not necessarily with us but with other publishers who've had two and a half thousand pre-orders that haven't been fulfilled because of amazon mm. intervening in this fashion uh, it hasn't affected us this time in that way but it still affects us and the assumption you can, you can, you know, most people say, oh, you've done something wrong or you're doing something wrong. The fact is that Amazon is an unwieldy beast, even for the people working for it, because it's layers and layers and years and years of different code. And the system trips itself up the whole time. And even with human intervention, that's assuming that they're actually paying attention to the emails that you've been sending and the messages and the system, you know, the ways of getting feedback back to them. That's, you know, that's still a fair, uh, you know, a fairly huge assumption that there's people, you know, enough people working on this. The fact is the system doesn't really allow them much wiggle room or, or, or sense either. And, you know, it's getting to the point. Amazon, if you're listening, <laughs> Jeff Bezos, I know you're giving all your money away. You've announced that this week that you're going to give $124 billion of fortune away. 
Uh, And then there's another case about, you know, whether you paid enough tax while you were making it. But the point is that this is people's livelihoods. You know, the faith people have in Amazon is massive in the sense that you tend to fulfill physical objects being delivered to the door very, very effectively. Very, very good at that. (laughs) But if you start messing about with people in this fashion, they're going to walk away and find another platform where they can sell their books and not have this hassle. It's going to happen. And you know you're under pressure already. Your record sales during lockdown have dipped dramatically, which will move us on to another story in a moment. But the fact is that you cannot keep treating people like this. It just cannot continue. And, uh, you know, if we're angry, if we're sounding angry, there we are. We're really frustrated. You've lost sleep over this over several days now. I mean, I I don't want to say it it did taint the trip to Glasgow. It really did taint because I was was checking obsessively the dashboard and the inbox. And every time I didn't see an email from KDP, I thought, oh, God, you know, it it did taint it. And I am really upset about that. Yeah. Yeah, We've done everything (laughs) that we're supposed to do in the correct fashion, in timely fashion. And this is a great book that should be in people's hands right now. And it's not. And it's down to you, Amazon. So get on with it. And by the way, while we're on the the subject, you said you delivered Toby's birthday present from his grandfather. It hasn't arrived. You said you put it in a letterbox. It's not there. Right. That's (laughs) truly unforgivable. Uh, Next story then. Uh, Well, I suppose it relates, doesn't it, the HarperCollins. um, Yes, it does. So HarperCollins, enormous company, as we know. Uh, one of the big five, um, are reporting um, that uh, things aren't as great as you might think they are. Um, global revenue is, has shrank recently 11%. So instead of 487 million, 425 million. I mean, yeah, that's, that's tragic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and they are blaming Amazon as well. So they're basically what you were talking about, um, Amazon losses and Amazon struggles. That's filtered down to um, HarperCollins are getting returns and fewer orders through Amazon. So that's what they're blaming, as well as all the other things like exchange rates and basic economic disaster. Well, I mean, clearly everyone is, you know, from from a print publishing point of view, uh, the costs have gone through the roof monumentally this year. Uh, We've discussed this so many times, but, you know, they've gone up by 50 to sometimes 100% uh, just to get a physical copy out there. So that's squeezing margins. And the Amazon return phenomenon, because there are people campaigning out there saying you don't have to pay for it because you can just hand it back within six days if you can read your book fast enough. <laughs> uh, and people are doing that um, in the same way that you know people are watching the BBC and not paying the licence fee because they just refuse to. So um, who's going to catch them, that kind of thing? And uh, you The know, man in the van. Well, really? yeah, I mean, that's less 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 um, aggressive now. But anyway, that's a, a separate point. But I think there is a... It, growing feeling that you know people are trying to get away with not paying for x and y and it's the other reason why you know netflix for instance you know you could share your password around the family and so you know it might be four or five different people watching netflix on one person's fee and they're trying to crack down on that but you you can't i can understand in a way because people view amazon as this massive company if they manage to um they don't think about the authors or the publishers. No, they think no, they're, Amazon. They're, they're thinking about, you know, ripping off Amazon, but actually you're ripping off uh, because Amazon pass on all of the return costs to the creators and the publishers, not to themselves. They they protect themselves. They offer this 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 uh, this opportunity for you to hand back your audio book or your your print book or not your print book necessarily, but your your ebook, um, you know, risk free. Uh, because they don't take the they don't take the hit you do as a, as a creator. Yeah, but pe- I don't think ordinary people know that. Well, I don't think they'd care anyway. I mean, I think if they're now, prepared th- to do that, I think that, that they don't really give one about anybody. I'm not sure about that. I genuinely because I I've seen people be surprised when they hear the effect. Well, on the you know, it doesn't stop them from handing it back, <laughs> thinking that somehow magically we're going to harm Amazon and not not. I mean, you know, I just think what sort of mentality is that to to to, to use that system in that way. Anyway, um, another story. Then we'll get to my, Maureen's uh, interview in a moment and uh, a taste of her book launch. Is that independent booksellers in the UK have urged publishers to build us into launch plans for books? And 
stop seeing us as an afterthought is the quotation in the bookseller instead of linking directly to amazon help direct readers to independent alternatives and there are one or two notable books uh, bob mortimer's um, new novel which is selling very well has uh, a link straight to independent bookstores as opposed to amazon instead so that is uh, that's a, a sort of a growing movement but nonetheless quite a number of bookshops uh, have contributed towards this article saying that they often get told well we'll get round to you in a few months time once we've dealt with waterstones and wh smiths and the biggies yeah and <laughs> um you know that uh, independent bookshops i mean this the, the other underlying thing here in the messaging um from these from these different bookshops is you know we're already struggling and uh, we're facing the headwinds of an economic recession and uh, cost of living crisis so anything you can do to help us survive is gratefully received. But, you know, for instance, Waterstones signed deals with the big publishers for the big titles where they have exclusive editions where they'll have an extra interview in the thing or it might be, you know, 10,000 copies signed by the author go out to the stock shops and things like that. It's I, I, I completely appreciate the struggles of the independent bookshops, but the publishers won't be thinking like that. They will be thinking purely business terms. How do we maximise reach and sales we do it by doing a deal with a shop one single shop basically waterstones that can go into lots and lots of stores rather than each individual independent bookshop that's how they think they're going to be thinking mm, yeah i mean i think it's interesting that some of these independent bookshops said that one or two of the majors have sent out window displays to them which is unusual normally they have to make their own window displays well, that, yeah that's good that's positive yeah um look I, I would also reverse this and say, look, independent bookstores, look out to your independent retailers, uh, you know, pr publishers like ourselves, because we don't get a lot of... Um, I would love to do a window display for a bookshop. Yeah, I, I, I would too. I, 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 You know, I think, yeah. Look, one or two independent bookshops have been on our, our, sh our show in the past and said, look, we don't really stock the uh, the big titles that you can get in the supermarket for half price you know, hardback for 10 quid. Or they stock them, but they don't reduce the price. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the, the reason is, is that they know there's no margin in it for them. And, you know, people are going to go for those big books somewhere else where they're heavily discounted. Yeah. So why not look at, you know, the smaller publishers a little bit more openly? Because at the moment, it's very hard for us to, to have those conversations and, and get in there. Unless someone's doing a signing nearby or doing a library talk then we can have that conversation. Yeah, and I mean, all our dealings with independent bookshops have been extremely positive. And I, I would like to say that about the gallery bookshop, say, well, we were there. I was looking at their um, collection as a as a reader. They had a lot of unusual, uh, interesting, different, independently published books on their shelves. They did, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Not just ours. <laughs> no, 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 indeed. Now, that was The Confession by Maureen Mayan, which came out last week and has garnered fabulous reviews, quite deservedly. It's a beautiful book, um, beautifully written. And Maureen is, uh, you know, we're very proud to be her publisher, uh, indeed. And indeed, we were proud to be in Glasgow for last week's launch at the Gallery Bookshop in Merchant City. And uh, let's, let's just capture a little flavour of it. I had, did a little bit of a spiel at the top. Uh, introducing Maureen, and uh, it was a lovely occasion. Now, before we get things going, we're going to have a couple of readings, maybe ask you know, we'll, uh, quick uh, two or three questions and introduce the book. We have a very formal and important moment in any author's, Hobec author's life, which is to get their Hobec badge. <laughs> 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 Thanks, Maureen. It was great reading a Glasgow set book that was so well kent. You know, and kind of, it made did it even scarier. Did you recognise the street in it? I did. I did. <laughs> it, it was. It made it even scarier because I knew every step everyone was taking. You know, but how important do you think setting is for a crime novel? I think it. I think it is. I think it's really important. Actually, I think it's really good to get a sense of a, the feel of a place. And obviously, Glasgow is very important to to me. I have thought of a crime story set in Brussels, but I, I, the research would just be on me because I'm, now that I'm no longer living there, I don't think I'd be able to manage to to do it. Um, 
but yeah, I think setting is really, really important. You know, when you look at sort of Ian Rankin and Carl McDermott, their settings are always, always yeah. brilliant. You know, they're really fantastic. Thank you all for coming and supporting Maureen tonight. Um, and go home and read the book. Go home and read the book and read it. Uh, yeah, we are so thrilled, and we, you know, we're absolutely convinced it's going to be a massive success. It deserves to be, uh, and we look forward to book too. <laughs> believe it or not that's the first time that we've actually attended a physical book launch yeah since we launched hoback we've attended one virtual one yeah um we- we've been invited to so lynn laversha had mm-hmm. book launch and we couldn't go unfortunately because of childcare. So yes, it was our first one we we were able to go to. It was fantastic. I loved it. Yeah, it was. It was. Well, it, it richly deserves every success and uh, you know, little launch to to help it. Well, uh, the next day, after we'd had a few drinks back at Maureen's uh, the night before, we ventured out into Pollock Park, which is a beautiful open space, uh, well, woodland really, bucolic, um, in the grounds of a big country house. And it also houses a, a fabulous collection of art as well. Um, so we went uh, went for a walk and a conversation with Maureen Mind. Well, it very much is the morning. In fact, it's the afternoon. Oh, is it? The night Already? Before. It is, yeah. It is, absolutely. I had a bit of a thick head last night, but we did enjoy the launch of the confession by Maureen Mind. And we did. Then, it was then after drinks as well. I- <laughs> Yes. Well, we had before drinks and after drinks, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We did. And we're joined by Maureen now. And in fact, you're taking us on a little jaunt through Pollock Park. Is that correct? That's right. That's where one of the murders happens in the con- in the confession. It's a lovely park on the south side of Glasgow. It hosts the Burrell Collection, which is a very eclectic art collection by Sir William Burrell. And we're just going to walk up to Pollock House now, which is a really nice house, which was... Supposed to have been designed by William Adam, but I'm not sure that it actually is. But mm. it's, it's that sort of style. It's lovely here. Lovely to see the dogs out and about. I mean, it's funny, when, whenever I have a mental... Ed, you know, I suppose before I visited Glasgow, I had an image of tenements. I mean, there are plenty of those. Uh, there's lots of them. <laughs> not, not op- but not the open spaces that are, there actually are. And, there are. and I think that it's a great credit to the city's sort of uh, founding yeah, fathers I, that they, they, they included so much yeah, open th- space for people. I think, I think they, they have um, the most public parks in any, of any city in Europe and it's known as the Deer Green Place. That's what, that's oh, what Glasgow like that. means, Glasgow. In, I'm probably saying that wrong, but that's the, <laughs> that's the Gaelic for Glasgow and it means Deer Green Place. I yeah. never knew that. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. I know, it's probably something that only people, only Ouija's know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we've had our, had the book launch last night. How was that for you? It was great. It was absolutely great. I've been worried about it for weeks. Yeah. And, um, you know, just being really anxious. Would anybody turn up? You know, would the bookshop be open? I, really, I was really terrified about the whole thing. But it was really great because I had quite a few friends there. And I think we had quite a nice discussion around the book. Which we did, really, yeah. Yeah. Really good. Well, yeah. you never know with these things, you know, quite what to do and what to say. But I think it flowed beautifully. Yeah, last night. it did, and it was it was a very sort of intimate atmosphere, and mm. um, everyone was very friendly and interested and welcoming as well. You know, in who we were, and um, I think and it's a lovely bookshop. I mean, Isn't it? it we really both bought is. books. It's lovely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the bookshop so in question I. is <laughs> is the gallery bookshop. It's right in the centre of Glasgow in the Merchant. Uh, uh, City, city yeah. yes, I was going to say quarter, but no, the city, uh, not far from George Square and the uh, Museum of Modern Art and all that sort of thing. I so, know, yeah. I'm going to drag you there tomorrow. You are, and I, <laughs> no doubt you will. Uh, well, I'm going to drag you to a guitar shop later, so uh, <laughs> so that you know we're even. Um, that was lovely. And um, tell us about the, the journey to publication, then, because uh, that's one of the themes we touched on last night. Yeah. It's, it's been. For, from from sort of first words on a screen or a page to publication, yeah. it's been a long time. It's been a hell of a long Just time. Just like Donna Tart, actually. <laughs> really, a really, yeah. a really, really long time because I started writing it 25 years ago 
when really just as I started writing, I'd always wanted to write, and it was impossible, you know, with three young children and a full time job. Mm. In fact, not only did I have a full time job, I had a part time job at um, the Open University as well. So I was doing one and a half jobs and had three children. So writing was just something I put aside. And then when my first child went off to university, I suddenly found that I had a bit more headspace, and so I started started writing. And I conceived of it as a novella to begin with. It was just going to be the confession and nothing else. Yes. And I put it aside for a few years. And then I entered the Crime Writers Association Debut Dagger Award, and it was shortlisted. And that gave me false hope. <laughs> <laughs> but that was, that was, what, 2000 and... 2001. 2001. Think, yeah, yeah. Wow. It was just at the time that I was starting the MLIT in creative writing at Glasgow University. Yeah. And um, I flushed with success. I sent it off to three agents, two of whom immediately got back to me and said, oh, we need to see more, we need to see more. And I was like, I haven't written more. <laughs> Which was a bit embarrassing. And um, I very, very quickly finished it. And looking back on it, it was atrocious. Yeah. You mentioned last night, Adrian, yeah. about head, you know, getting into other people's heads. Mm. Mm. Head hopping, yeah. Yeah, sometimes people just randomly head hop and it can be very confusing. That's what that, that did. <laughs> it wasn't called the confession at that time. It was called bad face. Who knows why? I think I was going through an existentialist phase or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But it was just, it was just ridiculous. So um, I did eventually get an agent on for that book, and she tried to sell it, and it didn't sell. Thank goodness, because it was terrible. Because years <laughs> after, as I picked it up, thought, well, this could do with a wee bit of work. And here we are. And here we are. <laughs> here we are. Yeah, the rest is history. Oh, it's fantastic to, to, to get it out there. Um, now, when you conceived it, um, it was, and it's always had a female serial killer in its heart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which was a rare thing back then, 20 odd years <laughs> ago. You make it sound <laughs> anyway. like women have become murderers well, no, but in the last 20 years. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a trope now, but uh, as, you, as you pointed out last night. It's very common. It is, yeah, it's yeah. become a thing. In, in literature and in crime fiction. I so, think that's because it, it, it is unexpected, or people don't expect it, so they, they are fascinated. Like, why would a woman who is historically nurturing and yeah. kind and gentle... I mean, obviously, that's a lot of generalisations, but that's why people are saying, how could somebody with those traits kill? <laughs> yeah. And yet you've got Myra Hindley. There's something that's always oh, yeah. around. The sort of, or Rosemary West. Or Rosemary West, yes. Yeah. Goodness me, yeah. Yeah, there's, um, a few, there's a few when you, you don't have to look far nowadays. Well, they're in reality, aren't they? It's just, I don't know. Well, I, I, yeah, it's interesting that, you know, that it was a novelty back then, but now it's, it's more established. But it doesn't lose any of its impact or power within the book. So who are we talking about in terms of our, uh, our killer? Or should we say the person who writes the confession? The person who writes the confession, Julie Campbell. Mm. She's... Um, She's a middle-aged woman. She's 45 when she kills herself in the book. She's outwardly very respectable. She lives in a, a quiet street on the south side of Glasgow. Her, her neighbours don't know her particularly well, but they all think that she's absolutely, you know, a really nice person to have as a, a yes. neighbour, which, of course, she isn't. Um, and she... She's a music, te- a music teacher, but of course she's kept all of her past hidden and she does have quite a checkered past. She has had, had had a difficult life, shall we say, and she kept that, all that hidden. And it's, it annoys her when people make assumptions about her. Yeah. And her neighbours do make assumptions about her. They think that she's this really nice, respectable, middle-class woman, and she's not really. I think that's one of the powers of the book, actually, is the way that... You know, you, you couch everything in a in a world which is so uh, familiar, and yeah. all of those things that you know we do as people, which is is that thing of making assumptions based on job title, possessions. Mm. But equally, as a person, we find it annoying when people make assumptions about us, don't we? Because I know I do. Well, I think that's that's the universal. T- t- I mean, that's the great thing about her character. It just takes to one. <laughs> One or two notches further extreme, but yeah, <laughs> but 
but I think that's that's one of the great things because it your your book works as a study of you know human relationships and very believable characters, all of whom are motivated in some way and have an yeah. inner life which they're trying to keep and secret in a sense. Are very flawed. Yes. yes. None, of, none of them are. And I've been struck by a couple of the reviews from bloggers that have said, you know, they're flawed characters, but Mark, I really don't like Yeah, I know, I yeah. I didn't think he was that bad. He's a silly boy. Yeah, <laughs> he's a bit of a numpty. Yeah, you, you just want to slap him and say, yeah. you know, come on, stop it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but he's so, he's so normal and human that I think he is likeable because you almost... You can imagine being in the dilemmas that he's in because they're very normal dilemmas that people yeah. go through all the time. Mm. Yeah, I know, I know. I, I want to just break in for a moment and just describe where we are because you can't ignore the fact that an absolutely stunningly huge oh, the ball, a dog. St Bernard has walked past us just a moment ago and was absolutely stunning that. dog. <laughs> You were concentrating so hard on you the You missed person. it. Oh, it was, he, it was, was, a, he was gorgeous. He was magnificent. Yeah, and then yeah. on the right, we have the magnificent Highland cattle oh, uh, up on the I hill. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, up yeah. in the, oh, the grazing up there. And they're such a beautiful colour, aren't they? They're and gorgeous. the horns. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, we really are in sort of, it's within the city of Glasgow, not far from the River Clyde. We're on the south side of the river. Uh, it is stunning here, it really well, is. I love this time of year as well, the sort of pre-Christmas time of year when you, you've still got the leaves on the trees. They haven't yeah. all completely fallen off yet. And it, I just love that sort of mm. autonomal feel about yeah. it, isn't it? It's lovely, isn't it? It really is, it really is. But And there's a painting on a tree. And it, <laughs> and it, 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 feels, it feels weird that we're actually picked this location because we have, in your book... Uh, a murder here yep. <laughs> and your murderess rushes off and uses the local geography to <laughs> cover traces of her crime she does yeah, yeah uh, but, you know. okay i have to describe this painting it appears to be a man from tudor era is that would you say that uh yes yeah, yeah, or yeah. civil war era yeah um with a pool stick and a pool table and he's wearing a bright blue blow tie and glasses without the frames yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> it well, could be a pastiche of one of the paintings that's in it the is it is a pastiche yeah, yeah. There's, it's just been um uh yeah altered there's uh there's the little boy blue uh, oh, that's, that's the first i think the gainsborough was was mm. was up there and that's also been um uh altered as well so a few of them have been it looks like he's just popped down the pub for a game of pool but he does has, yeah <laughs> yeah with his michael Caine glasses but he hasn't got frames you no. know, the no. ear bits. Yeah, that, uh, that's what true. Not that he has. No, it's a, sort of uh, balancing on his nose without any visible means of keeping yeah. them on. That's why he looks so miserable. He does. He's, he's trying to hold his nose up to keep his glasses uh, and, on his and, nose. And of course, being a, a, a Tudor or a Stuart gentleman, he has a fine cod piece. So we'll move <laughs> on after that. It's not quite the the Black Russian from um, Trust from Black Trust you to notice that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, we, we we'll bring it back to to Earth. Um, a lot of your work, I mean, the thing that, that really marks it out, Maureen, if I may, is your depth of understanding of the human psychology. And, of mm. course, this comes from your career. So yes, take, yeah. us, take us through that and the impact it's had on your writing. Oh, right. That's a good question. Sorry about that. That, that is, a, that is a, a very good question. And I remember, I think it was Ian Banks, who I don't know if you know. Yes, I've read, writer, I've read some really of his books. Yeah. excellent writer. And he said that when he, he wanted to be a writer, when he went to university, he read English and psychology because he thought that would be a really good mm. mix to be a writer. And he, he always said that he was wrong. <laughs> but um, I think it was Ian Rankin. Ian, Ian, Ian Banks. Ian Banks, Banks yeah. not Ian Rankin. Yeah. I'm almost sure, but one of them said it. I've certainly seen it both It sounds of them. like an Ian Banks thing to I say. I think it was Ian Banks, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was a psychologist for, oh, well over 25 years. Yes. Um, an educational psychologist, which means working with the education authority. And it's a difficult, stressful job because you're trying to help young people in school. And sometimes schools aren't maybe as welcoming. Less so now, but when I started, there was a real attitude here in Scotland from some schools that, you know, they didn't want any children with difficulties. I think no, they had no, a, right. a picture of the type of child that they wanted and it wasn't anyone with, with difficulties. Yes. And that has improved immensely over the, 
in the past 30 or 40 years it's it's got much much better and um sorry i'm just going to break out off and say this is pollock house yeah here so we'll walk past That's that maybe around the front of it so you can see it oh, okay facing on yeah no it is it is quite grand it is it's, it's a very house. solid looking building yeah and it looks very sharp i'm trying to figure out what the stone <laughs> stone is it's not granite is it no it's not granite it's it un- could I'm not sure it's sandstone. It doesn't yeah. look like sandstone. No, it hasn't worn sure. away like you would expect. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, limestone perhaps of some sort. So yeah, yeah, educational psychology, difficult, difficult job, fascinating, fascinating job, um, and I did it for over 25 years. But before that, I had been a teacher, and I also worked for the Open University for about 10 years as an associate lect- lecturer. So, I. Was that in psychology? That was in psychology, yeah, yeah, yeah. Child, child development mainly. It's 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 interesting. There are plenty of books out there. If you're writing psychological fiction or anything, really, uh, plenty. I don't know if you've had a look at any of them, but the ones that try and give um, a potted guide to psychological issues yeah. for your characters. Uh, I've not read any of them. Well, all. I've got one sitting on my desk, uh-huh. um, <laughs> which goes through through them all. So, if you want to make someone bipolar, what would they, oh, you know, right, typically right, okay. typically behave like? Uh-huh. Uh, what would they exhibit as their traits and, and yeah. characteristics externally, and what would they be actually experiencing internally? Yeah. I mean, they're very useful. I suppose yeah. as a as a beginning guide. Oh, well, I think so. I think yeah. so, and I think you know it gives a little bit more authenticity because you know. A lot of authors will approach it from, right, I've got to have some goodies and some baddies, and that's about it, and uh, <laughs> uh, without any sort of depth to it. Or they'll say, oh, we'll give them a, a, a con- you know, some sort of condition, and this is what I know about that condition. Yes. So yeah. there you go. We'll give them those personality traits or those behaviours. And, yeah. And I don't think of the nuances that the character I know, might I have. I know, and there are lots of nuances. That I, and I could mention some books that I've read which have featured characters with psychological difficulties and quite honestly they've got it all wrong you might bump into these people at the festival so yeah, yeah you've got to be I careful yeah not, not a crime um, the one i'm thinking of in particular is not a crime fiction right okay okay we're on safer territory now. <laughs> no i but in terms of the insight and, and because your the, the confession really does have a wonderful level of inner life um, for all the characters, and it, it, you marry the, the sort of the, the, the bits where you're describing what they're thinking with the, the external behaviour and the impact yeah. that's having on someone else and how yeah. they're reacting to it. I think you do that so well. Oh, thank you. Um, it's it's one of the things that really drives the story. But let's talk about Glasgow as a setting. We, mm. You were asked this question yesterday: uh, how important is setting? And I. I think when you have a city as rich as this, uh, with locations that we're exploring at the minute, yeah, it's got to be a, a big feature of it. But I, I imagine, I'm, you know, Edinburgh's well covered, let's be honest. Yeah. And Glasgow's not badly covered, mm. William McElnally being the sort of godfather. Of, Am I allowed to say I prefer Glasgow to Edinburgh as a city? Yes, you, you are. <laughs> you are, while, you are yes, while you're in Glasgow. Absolutely. Edinburgh's pretty, it's very pretty. Mm-hmm. But I just, I love the sort of feeling i get in glasgow well the, there's a, a well-known glasgow saying about edinburgh folk is that you'll go there chap on the door and they'll open the door and they'll say oh lovely to see you you'll have had your tea <laughs> <laughs> i love that yeah <laughs> that's right yeah i can imagine um no i think the, the thing is that do you think south the south of the river here has had much you know featured much in in crime fiction where um, you've picked, pitched the confession? I'm sure. I'm sure it has. I mean, I haven't read every crime fiction novel set in Glasgow, so I would, I would hesitate <laughs> no, to, say, no, no. to say that it hasn't. So well, there's sure a challenge it, for sure you. Has. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I know, for example, that Louise Welsh, who's professor of creative writing at Glasgow University, her first novel, part of it was set in the south side of Glasgow. One of the the, the cutting room. I don't know if you've read. Mm. Oh, so I haven't yeah. read it, but it's it's yeah, definitely on my wish list. Yeah, it's really it's really really good. And um, my memory of, of it, which I read a long, long time ago, probably about 20 years ago, is that part of it is set in the, in the south side, although a large part of it is set <laughs> in the West End. Yes. Well, the West End, I mean, the, the two areas that everyone 
knows about, I yeah, think. Yeah. The West End, clearly, because not least because that's a large chunk of the BBC, certainly in Scotland, live in the West End, and uh, yeah. it's sort of the the where a lot of the creative and art, intellectual side of the, the and the professionals have lived <coughs> traditionally. And then you've got the East End, where you've got Celtic Park yep. as a as a sort of landmark, yep. but otherwise. Uh, whenever oh, I used to come to visit, the East End used to get, you know, oh, what, the East End get, get yourself out of that yeah. football ground as soon as possible, don't hang yeah, around. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if that's that's still true. But I'm not, I'm not sure, but both my sons are Celtic fans and yes. they seem to go there without, without any trouble. So I'm sure it's, <laughs> it's improved a lot. I think violent crime has gone down in Glasgow seriously in, yeah. the, past, in the past 10 years or so. Um, it's not quite the, the violent city that it that it was, although I still think it has a bit of re- a reputation. It but does, what yeah. city doesn't, you know. That's true. What yeah. city doesn't? I, mean, I think, I think the, the culturally, though, the, the way that Glasgow uh, performers have, have characterised the city, I mean, from Billy Connolly to Rabsy Nesbitt and all that sort of thing, there's been a little bit of an edge. You know, you don't want to push a Glaswegian too far, or you, or you get... <laughs> You know, you get hid butt, uh, whatever you well, heed, hid butt, and uh, a Glasgow kiss, and a Glasgow <laughs> kiss, yeah. Uh, which uh, bizarrely, I mean, uh, I don't want to touch on wrestling, but there is a wrestler from Air who whose signature move is the Glasgow kiss. <laughs> Doesn't involve. I don't and, know what a Glasgow kiss is. Well, it, a oh, headbutt. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Well, it won't on the Maureen's pretty handy. <laughs> Incidentally. Um, listeners uh, just as in the back you can hear the rumble of a, of a waterfall oh i thought that was your stomach <laughs> it normally does sound like that but uh, no it's it's quite a rush of water because it's been yeah, pretty there's a, a weir there and it's it's been very very um wet here recently and certainly the last time i was here a couple of weeks ago it was flooded further on up oh right oh wow. yeah um that's stunning into the gardens yeah let's let's yeah, walk up the, so we've got a, a cobble a pretty co- um uh, bridge and skate. <laughs> yeah, these are these are these are sort of these brilliant sort description. Of model gardens, Thank you. Uh, which they're not so much now. And then there's the old stables and sawmill, which is being refurbished at the moment. I'm not quite sure what they're going to do with that. Oh, then but no that's doubt. Always been, that's you could always almost been hear the, the hooves. Yeah, the, the hooves of history. history. Yes. Now we're going up a cobbled lane under a little bridge. Uh, we're surrounded by. Definitely granite walls, <laughs> and it's um, this is an absolutely stunning spot, isn't it? I mean, my experience in Glasgow over the years, I, I always seem to come in the winter. I don't know why. <laughs> Actually, me too. Well, I've only been once, and it was winter. Uh, well, twice now. <laughs> and I just remember having the fieriest curries of my life mm. here because that's another thing. Yeah, I mean, Birmingham gets all the rep for, for curry oh, eating. The curries but, are fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's a massive thing, isn't it? And I went to this curry house, which was monumental. I think it was an old cinema. And it must have had a thousand diners in it. I, oh, I, I think I know the one you mean. I can't remember what it's called. I've been there. Yeah. yeah. It's absolutely massive. It yeah. is. It's yeah. extraordinary. Um, I must have know, a big kitchen. I think that's one of the great yeah. things about, about Glasgow is <laughs> when you do something, you do something with scale here. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not necessarily always the biggest, but it's always impressive. Impressive, yeah. And scale. I think of the cranes that used to be, you know, down at the shipyards. Yeah. Still, one or two still remaining. Yeah, yeah. The Titan crane, isn't it? Uh, just extraordinary. I love that part of the of the city. How how much does that does that hold an attraction down by the waterfront, or is it? Oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah very much so. Um, I, you know, I love the Clyde. I love the looking looking down it towards the towards the west and the Clyde coast itself yeah. is just is just fantastic and then you've got Aaron which I believe you were yes we nearly to. went yeah. well I had my stag do there yeah oh, did you yeah did you? Oh, fantastic. it was uh, it was a, that was a lively event <laughs> it's, it's a great island um I, I, I mean to visit Butte at some point as well Butte's love, I love Butte um that was where we went on holiday every year we went to Rothsey for a fortnight, the first fortnight in August, we would go to Rossi. Yeah. And I just I just loved it. I have really fond memories of it. It doesn't have the grandeur of Arran. Arran's no. got, you know, it's, it's got, got goat, goat fell. fell. I yeah. mean, for goodness sake, you know, you can't <laughs> beat goat fell. Um, 
Butte doesn't have anything like that, but it's a lovely, lovely wee island. Yes, and um, the Clyde Estuary is amazing, isn't it? And mm. the, so much, um, so much to see there. Faz Lane, if you're into nuclear submarines, which I watch mm. a lot of documentaries yeah. <laughs> about. Uh, not necessarily very popular with the SNP or, or the locals, but uh, it, yeah, it is fascinating. But um, yeah, so you've got the most open parkland in, in Europe, which is extraordinary. Uh, but it's also got some of the best architecture. Yes, I think, yeah. I think because I, th- and it's not just Cameron Rennie Macintosh, which everyone globally knows now. Charles Rennie Macintosh. Charles Rennie, sorry, I keep saying Cameron Macintosh. Yeah, his twin brother. Cameron Macintosh. the <laughs> theatre impresario. Charles, yes, Charles Rennie Macintosh. So I keep making that mistake. It's, it's, it's my sort of foible, but I mean, clearly he's influential. But there's so many grand buildings. Mm. Yeah, and I'm always amazed that. A lot of Hollywood films are made here because it can dub it can uh, New York for New York. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, that one because we tweeted about and you said about the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. And the, there was um, one. I don't know what it was called. The Day of the Dot Zombies or something that had Brad Pitt in it. And oh my goodness, that caused such a stir. <laughs> Did it? Brad yeah. Pitt in Glasgow. Brad Pitt in Glasgow, and he was filming right outside the education offices. Oh, did you look out Co- the window? No, I didn't because that wasn't where I worked. Oh. I knew somebody that worked there, and they kept emailing, emails. I can see Brad Pitt. I can oh, see Brad I would Pitt. be excited. Yeah. I've got to look at this chainsaw bench here. It's made of chainsaw sculpture. I don't know if it's got the artist on it because a friend of mine's father does this stuff. Hearing. Scotland. It's probably um, Madeline Crawford. Or okay, it's, 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 yeah, I, I, it's I, in I, memory yeah. of. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure it's a Ross, a Ross original, but um, it's certainly yeah. Yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? There's it a is. few sculptures sort of about dotted about the place. Well, Glasgow is a very creative, artistic city, mm. isn't it? Yeah, very much so. Because there's lots, there's lots of um, murals on the side of buildings and on yeah, and tunnels and walls. I haven't they? seen anywhere yeah, I know. quite like that. I know. Apparently, you can do a tour of them. You can it's do a an amazing number of, of murals. And there was there was one we would stop at traffic lights, and you know, I just casually looked up, yeah. and I thought it was another mural. But it was a mother feeding, breastfeeding a child, and yeah. it was. A, Massive on the I side know, of a building, I and I just thought, fantastic. "Wow, absolutely amazing!" Oh, I love the Billy Connolly one, but I haven't yeah. seen. It. Yeah, that's it's, it's on. If you no, I, I don't think you can go into town that way now because it's no. a bus gate, oh, so you course. can't go in that way by, <laughs> by car. But it's ju- it's just it's just near the um, not the Scotia Bar, the Clutter Vaults, which right. was the pub that was damaged in the helicopter crash a few years ago. Maybe yeah. About seven oh, oh yes, I remember. Ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, it's just it's just beside that, just near that. Gosh, yeah, that's something, isn't it? Um, what was so lovely about last night as well? So many of your the members of your writing group were there. Yes, yeah, well, yeah. I'm, I'm a member of two writing groups yes. actually. Um, one of them is a sort of leftover from the Glasgow University days, and the other one is a more recent yeah. recent one that I've been involved in since coming back from from Brussels five years ago. So. It's, it was great to see them there. <laughs> yeah, it was lovely. It was and a very writery atmosphere, wasn't it? It yeah, was. Writery yeah. conversations. Yeah. yeah. And I, 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 I was ju- asked, do you write fiction? I had to say no. <laughs> well. You will, you will. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, my first child's gone to university, so by your yes, uh, yeah, yeah. There's no excuse now. That's, that's not, I know I should be doing it. Absolutely. No, I just, that, that question of the, that creative community that you have in Glasgow, how much of that, I don't like using the word vibe, but, you know, the atmosphere that creates. Does that inspire you? Uh, keep, you know... It does, but it's it's very much in the in the background of... I mean, yeah. I wouldn't say that I'm an arty person, you know, the, the, that um, I go around sort of seeking out like-minded people, but it's in, it's in the background. But I do have... I mean, even all my close friends who are not writers are really interested in the arts, whether it's theatre, painting... Um, writing they're very fascinated by by it so yes yeah, so i think it does it does have an influence yeah I, I i that's what we always feed off when we come to a place like this and mm. and, 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 and <laughs> i regret- always yes it's, it's i always want to get back into painting again when i come somewhere like this i see all these big murals and i think i want to do one in stafford <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not sure stafford's ready for it but there's <laughs> plenty of blank canvases there though that's for sure um, in terms of where we're going to take the series from here, because yep. uh, we have well, the person we haven't mentioned, we've got our antagonist, 
or a key one to start with. Um, the protagonist, Alex Scrimgore. Yeah. Tell us Scrimger, more about Scrimgeour. Scrimgeour. Yeah. You made him sound like some Harry Potter. Well, well he's yeah. Not, he's not really. He's not really at the forefront of this. This one because. Mark is the, yeah. is the police officer who's sort of at the forefront of this and it's partly focalised through, through him. Um, Scrimger is his boss. Yeah. He's a grumpy old man. He comes across quite badly, I think, in places in the, in the book, just a, as a bit sort of slightly seedy. He's not at all. He's got a very, very difficult past, a real, which is what I'm exploring in the, mm. in the second and the follow follow up to this so I think when I conceived about this this series I was thinking of trying to have a different character who's featured in another book at the forefront rather than having the same Yes, so it's not a DCI such and such no. series. And that, yeah. I think the, the the beauty of that is that <coughs> people could read. Sorry, people could read the second book without having read yeah, the first yeah, one and so, so on. And very much so. Yeah. I think we're going to be greeted by a dog. Yeah, it's lovely. Hello. Isn't it? Hello. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean that's that's terrific. I mean that is a slightly different approach to a lot of people who you know who will you know rank in with Rebus, yeah. synonymous. And I guess I mean he certainly said to us last year that it, it's sometimes difficult to find fresh angles. Yeah. He's getting older and older. Well, yeah. And I mean, is, is he going to be yeah, still at it in his nineties? Scrimger's getting older, and in, in, in this in this book, he really has reached the end of of, yeah. of his career. So there wouldn't be any leeway in writing another book about him after book book two. Yeah, and I'll have to move on to to somebody else. Although I haven't decided who yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of the the support network around you, you've got your writing groups, but. Yeah. Uh, Family, oh gosh, fully yes. behind it. Do they Absolutely. read everything? Yes, <laughs> yes, they do. My poor daughter. <laughs> she, I think somebody asked her last night if she'd read the book, and she said, "I think she feels that she's practically written it <laughs> 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 because she's read it so many times, so many times." Because when she was at, was at university and I started writing it, I would send off bits to her, which she would share with her friends. She said, "Oh, you should, you should continue with this. It's everybody really likes it." <laughs> so she feels that she's read it. Hundred times and doesn't want to ever see it again. <laughs> I think she bought a couple of copies yesterday. I think. <laughs> um, in terms of your writing uh, day, your your, you know, what, what, how do you? What do you tend to do when you want to get down and get some words down? What's your sort of pattern? Well, it's very different now from from when I was working because when I was working, my time was very constrained. Yeah, I would come home from work, have my dinner. And then I would write from 7 o'clock until 9 o'clock every single evening without fail. And I always used to think, oh, if I only had enough time to write, if only I was retired, why can't I leave this job? And now I'm, re- now I'm retired, I do have much more time to write, and I do write a lot, but it tends to be more varied because I will work on fiction things, but I also do a lot of reviewing of books on, on NetGalley, Net mm-hmm. and I'm trying to set up a website at the moment, which is uh, <laughs> not, not going well, but I'm trying to do that. I've got lots of things to go on it for once I've got it up and running yeah. properly. Yeah. Um, so I'm writing more of that. But I do try to write every day. Last week was hopeless. Nothing done, <laughs> nothing done this week. And you've got your kitchen all. being replaced this week, so that oh. probably will be tough as well wasn't it yeah I know I know how to pile on the stress yeah I launch one week and then get so much for retirement huh I know I know so yeah so I I tend to write every day um we start the morning my husband and I start the morning off with coffee in our we used to have a four-bedroomed house now we have a two-bedroom right with umpteen umpteen public rooms um so we have the front room upstairs We've got it set set up and we have coffee every morning there and then he goes off to do his writing and I sit and do my writing at the window. It's a nice place to sit and work. It's nice and nice and bright. Um, and I like that. Sometimes I go down to Langside Library, which is also a nice place to work and I can spread things out all over the all over the the desk. And if that's if it's something that needs if I'm planning something then I need to do that yeah. there. Um, but yeah, every day more or less. So you're both writers then? Yes, but he's an academic writer. Uh, ah. One of, one of that lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dealing in facts, not 
Far-fetched fiction. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that sounds uh, that sounds idyllic. Um, you, I guess you've always been using uh, word processors. Always. Yeah. Always. I, mean, I mean, I did. Can you imagine it. doing it typed or no, uh, handwritten? Or oh, handwritten. Yeah. Well. Actually, more so than I used to, because I used to say, oh, no, I'll always type things out. Now I find it really useful. I always have a notebook for whichever book that I'm working on. Yeah. And I tend to plan things out, jot down ideas in there. And I didn't do that so much when I started off writing seriously. I mean, I've always written, but never got very far with it. Yeah. What... what what made the difference this time? Because I mean, you've, you've obviously been with this book and this story for an awfully long time. Where did you find the determination to get it done? Just a feeling that there was something in the book. Yeah. That it had been such fun to write, and I really enjoyed writing it, and I kept thinking, I'm not ready to give up. I don't care if people keep rejecting this. I'm not ready to give up on it. I'm just going to keep on polishing, keep on polishing, and send it, send it out there. So it was just a determination to see it published, really. Yeah, and, and now it is. And yeah, how, how, it is, yeah. How, how, how does is. that feel? Oh, it's great. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. absolutely fantastic. Oh, good, good, good. Well, we've, we, you know, absolutely thrilled. It's one of those books, um, when we got the submission, you got excited first, well, Rebecca. I did, yeah, so it's because we, we were open for September, weren't we? And we, we did have, um, I think we had about 60 yes. in the month. Gosh. And so it did take a long time to get through sort of, the first reading of all of them and I remember it took us a long time with yours as well like, but I remember I was in the kitchen and it was lunchtime and I got I'd, I'd been reading through the confession part of the book and I found him and I said I love this one <laughs> please read it we've left her hanging for so long yes that's read it true now. we left everyone hanging for a long time and then, then I emailed you and said look I'm really sorry but <laughs> just give us another couple of weeks we'll have an answer for you because that, 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 I got to that point where I thought oh, you know I love it <laughs> oh that's good that's, that's, that's so nice to hear because to be honest I got to that stage with a couple of other publishers as well we were yeah. like, part of it and they said oh sorry it's not for us or, We've got something too similar. Or oh. It's a Tuesday and we don't like books on a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is difficult to... The turndowns are the worst part of the job in yeah. many ways. Um, but, the, you know, the, the yes pleases uh, are the good bits. And yeah. when I read it, I mean, I was glued, wasn't I? So Yes, and I knew he would be, so I, that's why I was but like, that, come that, on! That's the ultimate arbiter. Because <laughs> Do it now! <laughs> my mind will drift off very easily onto other things during anything really and uh that's, that's he is a, a good bench, benchmark yeah if i'm gripped so will, <laughs> so will the rest of the world um you mentioned your time in in belgium and in yeah. brussels so yeah. how much has that influenced you know having that that time of change of slight change of culture has that uh broadened well, your, yeah. your writing a oh, bit i mean it was it we had a, a great time in brussels it was a lovely place to to live and i met many people from all over Europe, which yeah. was absolutely fantastic, and I was also a member of a writers group group there. Some of whom I keep in keep in touch with, but obviously we don't critique each other's work or anything no. like that. That now, but um, I have <laughs> I've always had a longing to write something about the time in, in Brussels, and it's based on the concierge and our block of flats because he seemed to have it in for me <laughs> did he oh right from the start right you know we we moved in and we got various bits and pieces from ikea so of course we had lots of cardboard to get rid of and he was like the guardian of the, of the the recycling the recycling place <laughs> and i can remember going down with them um, with some cardboard to put in the re- recycling bin and he just stood there and shouted, <laughs> shouted at me you can't do that and I had this terrible urge <laughs> to make him the victim in a crime story. Well, that might well happen then. That would be great. That would be well, great. Well, it would be too complicated because I don't know anything about the French, the, the Belgian, the, the, yeah, the Belgian the legal system yeah. And, and investigative. Yeah, but nothing. Yeah. I don't so, think Agatha Christie's you know, Poirot is, is a, no, is a reference guy. I don't think so. I don't think no, so. not at all. Well, I think um, we're getting to the stage as we walk around the edge of a cricket pitch, which, uh, again... Oh, is it a cricket pitch? Well, yeah, yeah we've this is, come full circle from where we started. This is the amazing thing about... Another thing, great thing about Glasgow is that the first ever international cricket match was played in Glasgow between oh. England and Scotland. Uh, yep, yeah, little-known fact, but 
there is a very strong Scottish cricket tradition, despite the fact that it's as English as it comes. Um, you know, it is it is a really and Glasgow is an epicenter for this, so it's uh, it's rather lovely. But let's get to the. I'll do the voice. Oh, right, I'm getting bit. a bit out of breath, so I'm going to have to summon up a big deep breath. I think you want to stop? <laughs> Just a sec. Have yes. a breath. Yeah. Here we go. Rebecca's random question. Oh no, that sounds terrible. Don't panic. So, as always, I thought of this as we were driving here this this morning. I don't know why this came into my mind, but if you could be any monarch from any country in any time period, which monarch would you be and what would you do? Another brilliant question. Oh, my goodness me. So it doesn't have to be um, um, this country. I think it'd have to be Macbeth. Oh, yeah. I think I'd have to be Macbeth, yeah. Would you tell... Lady just, Macbeth to go. Get, I think just get to knotted. get a grip, just to get a yeah, grip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grip in my wife, I'd have to be Macbeth. <laughs> <laughs> she has to behave herself. Absolutely. Uh, what about you, love? Me, I I don't know which one, but I'd like to be a Japanese emperor or empress. Oh, they okay. tend to go on for a long, long time. Yeah, they? they do. So yeah, yeah. And, and wear the most amazing kimonos and mm. eat the most amazing Japanese. Fiddly food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's more fiction, I suppose, because I, c- I can't think of an actual empress because they were all emperors, weren't they? But yeah, yeah. If I was Henry VIII, I could justify my body shape. Oh, yes, you are so Henry VIII <laughs> on so many levels. I, I am I am in many ways, but I think I, if I could choose one, I think I'd be the Emperor Trajan, um, who was the amazing uh, emperor of Rome in the second century AD, uh, who conquered. Dacia, which is modern Romania, and right. hence the name Romania is from the fact the Romans yes, conquered yeah, it. Yeah. So, and he famously built, his engineers built this incredible uh, causeway, wooden causeway, cut into a you know, a supported up the side of a gorge, which allowed them to get into Dacia properly with their full armies and do their thing. Well, as long as you don't come and attack me and my empire in Japan yeah. and spoil my kimono... There might be a bit of a stretch yes. for a Roman navy, I think. Oh, so, yeah, if you get to Scotland, you've got to contend with Macbeth here. Well, they, were, they were much better on land than, than at sea, and the, the pirates tended to have, the, have their way. Oh, we're fine then. Yeah. <laughs> so, there we go. Uh, what, a, what a great question, Rebecca. Oh, yeah, I, they fantastic. just come to me. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, look, Maureen, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to have us jaunt and, around Pollock yeah, Park. it's been great meeting you and Rebecca. It's been absolutely fantastic. Well, it's been our pleasure, really. I mean, you know, any excuse to come to Glasgow, to absolutely. be honest. Absolutely. But, but I did say to him this morning, I said, we're actually on holiday. <laughs> yeah. But it's the first Hobeck book launch that we've actually physically attended, yeah. which is shocking after two and a half years well, of, of the, launching books. Unfortunately, there have been other book launches that we couldn't make them because of childcare issues. And pandemic. The, yeah. And there was a virtual one we did attend. Um, which was about this time last year for Silenced. Yes. Which was good oh, which fun. I'm reading at the moment. Oh, are you? Yes, oh. I am. Yeah, it's well, really good. It is really good. It is really good. Now, where do and we go only here? 99p, listeners. So we got through this car park here. <laughs> what a glamorous way to finish our lovely walk through Pollock Park. But well, we'll uh, go back we'll, up to the Battle Collection now. Absolutely. And All art. Yes. Yes, a bit of art for you. Uh, thank you so much for. for uh, your uh, hospitality today and for joining us on on the hobcast and we wish you every success with the confession thank you for coming up to glasgow you're welcome thank you glasgow was really autumnally resplendent that morning wasn't it it was lovely and actually we we were treated to quite good weather weren't we It, it rained a little bit but generally it was very mild there was lots of sunshine glasgow i love glasgow yeah I've always loved it, and I've been going irregularly for years. Um, I've got a friend who lives there, and he's a... You need <laughs> to eat more fruit. A Romanian uh, Orthodox priest now, believe it or not, even though he's Scottish. Um, it's, uh, yeah, one of my favourite places in the world, and, you know, it has so much, so much going for it and so much character. So it was a pleasure to be there. So we're back now in Staffordshire, building up to another week, another book launch, uh, how many more books have we got this month? We have. Um, so Linda Huber today with the Unfamily, kind of unpublished, <laughs> we should <laughs> yeah. call it. And then um, two weeks today we have Driven by Karina Swam and Cooking the Books. Cooking the Books by the Hobeck team. Our collection of recipes and short stories and vignettes uh, for Christmas, which is raising money for the Trussell Trust 
They let us publish that. <laughs> we'll put it on pre-order with no problem. Yeah, of course not, they did. Not a sniff. <laughs> I know. I know. We're talking about Amazon again. We're going to whinge about this until it's sorted. So uh, please, Amazon, I know you're listening. Get on with it. <laughs> Get it sorted. And uh, we'll all be happier. Uh, well, we've got uh, we've got a special guest. We're going to be speaking to them actually shortly after we record this podcast. So uh, who have we got next week? Her name is, well, I think it's Lucy Hooft. I think you would say it. It's, it it's might a be Dutch Hurft. name, isn't it? It might be Hooft. Oh, yes, that's right. Yes, proper Dutch pronunciation. Yeah, so she's joining us from Namibia. She is. Which is, you know, I think one of the most exotic places we've spoken to anybody from on the podcast. I know. We, we do get about a bit. Well, we don't get about, but our voices do. Well, we got to Glasgow, so just <laughs> getting about. And frankly, I wouldn't want to drive driven any further than that. Um, anyway, that's uh, my own private grief. But... Uh, yeah, Lucy Hurft or Hooft is joining us on the podcast next week. So look forward to that. Uh, in the meantime, we will be battering down the doors of Amazon, trying to get uh, the Unfamily finally in the hands of our readers. Which uh, And here comes the cat again. Maybe Back. we should offer the cat in exchange. Yes, we've got two birthdays this week, haven't we? So we've got a very busy week here. Yeah, so you've already had Toby turning 13 yesterday and we've got Luke turning 19 on, well the day after we record this put this podcast out on the wednesday so what i'm doing for luke um because he couldn't attend toby's birthday we did have a facetime with him with cake and candles i'm posting him a slice of cake so he can enjoy it tomorrow absolutely that's wonderful i'm just watching the cat being a cliche she's trying to get into a cardboard box (laughs) but it's poised very very precariously on the end of a sofa oh wow and if she does try and get in it it will end in Cat-related tears. Yes, she's she's, gonna she's determined. <gasps> she's going for it. It's going to be. <laughs> she if tried. Only we had vision. <laughs> she she put her paws over the top and realised that it wasn't stable enough for her to get in. She's daft. Uh, and yeah, so busy week with uh, launches and uh, battering Amazon and all sorts of other aspects of the business. We won't bore you with them. But anyway, let's um, let's wrap up. So I've been Adrian Hobart. I've been Rebecca Collins. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Hobcast Book Show, show number 98 next week as we build up to our big 100, which feels like a significant achievement. But we'll look forward to that uh, in a couple of weeks time or so. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a wonderful and creative week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to The Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Spirit.